0: Greetings, in Jesus' name, I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is a video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective, Part 3. This is lesson number six of Part 3, and in Part 3, we're examining the uh, the uh, life of pure motives. What kind of life uh, has pure motives, and how do we have pure motives and live a life of pure motives? motives. Uh, As we've been talking about, Paul uh, described his life as before being crucified with Christ as not being able to do what he wanted to do and doing the things he didn't want to do and even doing the things he hated. Uh, And he came to the conclusion that in in me and my flesh there dwells no good thing. And so I'm doomed to live like this without a deliverer. He said, "O wretched man that I am! Who shall deliver me from the body of this death?" So in this, he said, "I thank my God through Jesus Christ, uh, our Lord." So I, I just want to just we're going to go a little different, different direction of this lesson. Uh, let's just talk about Jesus as the deliverer. Uh, Matthew chapter eleven, beginning with verse twenty-eight. It's going to seem like a strange place to. Start, but stick with me and you'll see why the Holy Ghost is starting here. Uh, Matthew 11, verse 28, come unto me. Not come to church, even though it's the will of God for us to gather together as his body. Uh, Not come to religion, not go to counseling, even though uh, counseling can help, uh, at least help cope. But it's okay to cope as long as coping allows you to continue to avoid coming to the end of yourself. Again, you're at your most spiritual when you come to the end of yourself and you're ready to quit and give up. But who are you going to give up on, God or you? Well, the goal is for us to give up on ourselves and let God be God in and through us. So Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, it may not sound like it just at first reading, but this is one of the most amazing descriptions of an invitation to, to be delivered and of Another way of discussing living a delivered life. Uh, the amplified reads it this way: "Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will, I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls." That uh, that we says, "Come here to me, all who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion." And who have been loaded with burdens and are bending beneath their weight. And I alone will cause you to cease from your labor and take away your burdens and thus refresh you with rest. Now, this is, uh, this is very important because when you study the, the words here in the original language, and again, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read what Greek scholars say. And they say that the words here, uh, uh, that all ye that labor and are heavy laden. This is laboring to do right and heavy laden with the, the, uh, responsibilities and pressures that comes from religion to perform, to, to meet religion's expectations. Well, aren't religion's expectations and God's the same? Well, there may be some shared expectations between religions and gods, but religions always adds more to the pile. Those are called traditions. So religion starts out with the word of God and the expectations of the word of God and then adds more expectations to it. God doesn't. But religion is telling you to live for God and work for God and perform, perform, perform. Earn your way, right? It, you know, earn the the pleasing of God. Earn it, deserve it, you know. Or you're not good enough to be a part of us. Blah blah blah. Really? When, huh, according to Paul, when I'm weak, I'm strong. So he's trying to get me to acknowledge my weakness. I may say this again, but I, in the Lord dealing all this stuff in my life with me in these things and trying to teach me this. And I'm very hard headed. I'm very strong willed very stubborn. And he was very persistent in teaching me this. And, uh, I, uh, I, he showed me, I I started to say, I came to the realization. I didn't come to the realization of anything. He showed me, I didn't figure it out. He showed me that I'd spent all those years, Trying to prove to him how strong I was so he could be impressed with me. Watch dad. Or uh, all that time he was trying to prove to me how weak I was so that I would surrender him and let him do this through me. And let me tell you something. <laughs> you talk about stuck between a rock and a hard spot. When you're stuck between the rock hard uh, uh, stubbornness of your own will and a God who loves you so much that he wants the best for you, but he can't give you the best while you're stuck doing your own will, claiming you're pleasing God. When at the very least, you're trying to do the things of God through your own ability so your motive is so you can get the glory. No. So he, he's wanting to, he's wanting to do this in by and through me. But I'm stubbornly refusing for that to be the case. These are the expectations, you see. These are the expectations. I have to come to the end myself. And he loves me enough to bring me to the end myself. And if you are a stubborn self-willed person, which all of us are to some degree, the greatest foe we've got is the love of God because he's not going to let us settle. And he's not going to settle He is not going to settle. He's not going to let us settle. He is going to constantly work to get me to the place. I come to the end of myself, and I finally let him be God through me. So that's the word labor. Heavy laden speaks of the word laden in both the Greek and the English speaks of the cargo of a ship, what a ship is carrying. Now we are designed to carry burdens. But we're not designed to carry our burdens. We're designed to carry his burden. Because we're supposed to cast our cares. And that's where weariness comes from. That's where frustration comes from. Casting our cares. Why don't we why do we hold on to our cares? Because what we care about, what we worry over, what we're afraid for, we're simply meaning That if we give it to God, he may not do what we want, the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, whatever. So we hold on to it. Now, we'll pray about it, but we pray for the purpose of him giving us what we want, how we want it, when we want it, where we want it. We pray, but we pray our will, not his. Those are prayers of iniquity. When I'm praying my will, not God's, I'm praying prayers of iniquity. I may be praying, I may call it prayer, and I may be very persistent at it, And people may look at how much I pray and consider me spiritual, but they're not considering the content of my prayer and they're not looking at my prayer from God's perspective because I'm not praying to surrender my will to God. I'm praying to convince God to give me my will. Well, I hold on to my cares because I want my way with them rather than giving them to him and trusting him with however they turn out You cast it on him, and that's the way you have peace because people that are carrying their cares do not have peace. And if you don't have peace, you don't have rest. And if you don't have rest, you're weary. So he said, come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Or come unto me, all you who are, come here to me, all you, all who are growing weary to the point of exhaustion, and who have been loaded with burdens and are bending underneath bending beneath their weight, I alone will cause you to cease from your labor and to take away your burdens and thus refresh you with rest. This is the will of God; this is the will of God. I'll be teaching this on another series, but I must have rest. Hebrews chapter four says. He that has entered into his rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. What are my works? My efforts to be righteous through my own ability. Well, what's the outcome of that? God can't bless that. I can pray, Oh God, help me to live right. I'm trying hard as I can. How come you're not helping me? He's not helping you. He's not, He will forgive you. He will help you with forgiveness, but he's not going to empower you to do it through your own ability. He's only going to empower you to do it through his own power for his own will. That's the only way he's going to empower you. He's not empowering us to do it his way, our way, and to do our will, and to please him the way we think he should accept it. He's only going to empower us to do his will, his way. He says, verse 29, uh, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle or meek and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest, relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. The uh, We says it this way, Take at once my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find cessation from labor and refreshment for your souls. Now, notice, he did not say, okay, give up on you, and come to me, and then, I'm going to relieve you from the responsibility of having to do anything. You couldn't do it right, so it's okay. I'm going to give you my grace, and you're now excused. Hogwash. That is so far from The Bible is ridiculous, but it's preached all over the country and around the world. You're struggling with yourself and struggling with sin. Don't struggle any longer, my son. You come to God. He gives you your grace, and it's okay. It's okay. You just do the best you can, but the grace of God makes up for all your shortcomings, and so you just keep on living like you're living. It's okay. God doesn't expect you to change. You don't have to change. What absolute pigsty filth bud that is. It's ridiculous. It is not the word of God. That's not what the word of God teaches. But it's what the blind teach. That's what they believe. The grace of God doesn't make it okay for me to live how I want to live. Well, the Lord knows that I'm, yeah, the scripture says the Lord knows our frame, that we're made out of dust of the earth. He pities us as a father pities his children. But a father corrects his children. A father trains his children. A father helps his children mature. His father doesn't leave his children in diapers. His father doesn't leave his children feeding themselves with food running down all over the front and, and all over the floor when they're 10 years old, uh, unless there is a reason why there's something Uh, 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 an inadequacy in their being that is not normal for a person 10 years old to eat like a two-year-old. And I'm not finding fault with the, the natural side. I'm talking about the spiritual side. So he says, come to me. Get in my yoke with me. He's not saying you get yoked up with my word. You get out there and pull this. This is really hard. No, no. He says, get in my yoke with me. I'm not asking you to do this by yourself. Get in the yoke with me. I will pull this load with you. Well, you know, uh from what I've read, the farmer would always pair up the old older, mature, stronger oxen with the new one. And all the you new oxen had the younger oxen had to do was stay in step with the older one. And if he did, the the yoke fit comfortably. It didn't bind and pitch or whatever. And it almost felt like there was no load back there because the old, strong, mature oxen is pulling the load. And all the young oxen has to do is stay in step. Start when the older oxen starts, stops when he starts. stops. Turn left, turn right when he turns. Go fast, go slow, according to him. The younger one lets the older one completely set the pace in the yoke. But if you do, there's no load back there. And what am I learning? He said, take my yoke upon you and uh, learn of me. For I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. What am I supposed to be learning in this yoke with you, Lord? I'm supposed to learn not how powerful he is. Obviously, he's powerful. Not how great he is. Obviously, he's great. Not how wonderful he is. Obviously, he's wonderful. I'm supposed to learn, first of all, how meek. In the Greek word there is gentle. And how humble he is. That's what the Greek word is for lowly. Humble in heart. And thank God, our God, as manifested in the Lord Jesus Christ, is both gentle and humble. Why? How would he be able to put up with us any other way? First of all, rather than being gentle with us and constantly prodding and dealing with us and encouraging and working a, when we're persisting, doggedly persistent to do our thing our way, even though we fail, 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 fail. He just very gently keeps working with us hoping we will come to the end of ourselves because he can't make that choice for us. He can't. But he is gentle and humble in heart. Why? Why is it so important for God to be humble by the biblical definition of humility? Thank God, because if he wasn't humble, he would be the God that a lot of people perceive he is. This angry God just waiting for an opportunity to smash people like bugs because they crossed him. No, he knows who he is. He doesn't need to fry me to a crisp every time I don't do things exactly right. His love causes him to be humble enough to take our wrongs, to, to put up with our weaknesses and our persistence and doing it our way while he teaches us, while we grow, while he deals with us, while he keeps encouraging us to let him do it through us. And he says, if I take his yoke upon, my, upon me, I'll learn of him that he's meek and lowly in heart and I'll find rest for my soul's. The word rest in verse 28 is not the word rest in verse 29. The Greek word for rest in 28 is cessation from all labor. Come unto me all you that labor and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. I'm going to take away all your labor. But then take my yoke upon you. Get in this yoke with me and we will labor together. And you'll learn about me and we'll have a relationship together. We're going to be, I'm going to be as committed to you as you are to me because we're in this yoke together. And I'll give you rest for your souls. And that Greek word is not rest from labor. It's rest in our labor. How that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? How can I have rest in my labor? Because I participate with him and he's carrying all the load because he's the one doing it because he's the one that's going to get the, the credit Verse 30 says, for my, in the Amplified, my yoke is wholesome, useful, good, not harsh, hard, sharp, or pressing, but comfortable, gracious, and pleasant, and my burden is light and easy to be borne. The, ampli- the uh, We translation says, for my yoke is mild and pleasant, and my load is light in weight. When I'm in the yoke with him, it seems so easy to do the things he expects me to do. It almost becomes subconscious because I don't have to think about doing it. I let him do it through me. He is the power behind it. He is the will to do it behind me. He is all of it because he gets all the glory because of that. That's the motive. I surrender to him and get into the yoke with him so he can do all this. And I get to participate. I get the joy of participating in his presence, his fullness of joy, his right hand, pleasure forevermore. I get all of that. But he gets all the glory. Now, again, if Christ is the only uh, deliverer, he's the deliverer. He said, come unto me. So now I read, I am crucified, Galatians 2.20. Again, I'm reading it. <laughs> Nevertheless, I live. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me in the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Bible in basic English reads it this way. I have been put to death on the cross with Christ. That's how I'm delivered. I experience his death with him. Still I am living. Still no longer I, but Christ is living in me. And the life which I now am living in the flesh I am living by faith, the faith of the Son of God, who in love for me gave himself up for me. When Paul, In Paul's declaration in Galatians 2.20, the result of his experience, excuse me, Paul's Galatians 2.20 declaration is the result of his experiencing the deliverer for which he had so desperately and passionately prayed, in Romans 7, 24. He wanted to deliver. And so he describes in Galatians 2, 20, his experience of deliverance. Paul urgently needed a deliverer from his load and his weariness with his inability to please the Father through his own strength, through his own will, through his own self. What could have happened to him that could have facilitated his revolutionary transformation? Obviously, by his own confession, his flesh could not take the credit for such a dramatic change in himself. Paul's change was so transformational that even his flesh in Galatians is different than it was in Romans. Did you hear that? that it was so amazing that even the life of his flesh was different. Now, in me, that is in my flesh is no good thing. But that doesn't mean that God, the good, righteous one, can't work even through my flesh. Well, frankly, he can't really work through us without our flesh. Now we can pray, but even the flesh has to submit itself to the time of prayer, to, to, to praying, and rather than doing something else, because the scripture says again, the life that he that he lived in the flesh, in Galatians two twenty, was remarkably different than the life he had been forced to accept from his flesh. In Romans seven twenty five, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That here sounds a lot different than that which I would do. I don't, and that which I don't, I do, and what I hate, I do, and I don't have any probably willing and desiring to do what God wants me to do. But I don't. I I, I can't find out how to do it, not consistently. Is it possible that the Scriptures teach? a work of the cross in our lives which occurs after salvation. We know, we know there is a work of the cross that saves us. It is the cross. It's by the by the cross that we're brought out of the world into Christ. We die with him in repentance. We're buried with him in baptism. We're resurrected with him by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's the gospel. That's both the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection, and the application of the gospel by faith in our lives so the gospel can work in our lives and do that. So it all starts at the cross. So the cross, by the cross, he provided salvation. That's good news, the gospel. And it's by the cross that we are forgiven of our sins. Our old man is buried, and we are then positioned to be able to receive newness of life. But is it possible? according to Paul, that there is another work of the cross that takes us from Romans 7 to this place of deliverance described in Galatians 2.20. Is it possible? And that Paul spoke in advance of the description of his own struggles in Romans chapter 6. Is the work of the cross fully completed at salvation, or is it described for us? In other places in Scripture, as being the process of sanctification, which begins at salvation but continues throughout the rest of our lives, on a daily basis. Just Second Corinthians seven one, having therefore these promises, what promises? That He would be our God, and we would be His people, and that He would live in us, walk in us. He said. Those are the promises. So come out from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I'll receive you. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The verb tense there, perfecting or completing or bringing to completion or maturity, is a process. It's an ongoing process. It's not an event. So this process of sanctification, is it possible that this is the work of the cross that takes place in us after we are saved? After the work of the cross that got us saved? In the lessons to follow, we will closely examine the scriptures which reveal that the Bible actually does teach the existence of two works of the cross in our lives. The first work of the cross saves us. The second work of the cross transforms us in Jesus' name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I speak the word of revelation and the word of the spirit of impartation upon you and I. I speak grace, mercy, and peace upon us that we might receive the spirit of God to enlighten in our hearts and minds the word of God that we might know what he's saying to us and that by the grace grace of God, we might desire and be enabled to submit ourselves to God so that we can please him, so we can have the fullness of joy of his fellowship and the pleasure of being used by his right hand forevermore. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let this be so. It is so. Amen.